So welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning into our new BHSC podcast initiative titled, So You Don't Want to Be a Doctor. The aim of the series is to shed light on career paths outside of medicine and act as a resource for fellow BHSC students. Through this initiative, we hope to pique new interests, help break down the pre-med health science stereotype, and provide tangible advice to students who are thinking of exploring different post-undergrad pathways, such as graduate programs, taking a fifth year, entering the workforce, or in this case, social work. So with that said, let me first introduce you to our guest today, Simran Saini. Now, when we were initially conceptualizing this podcast um, and social work came up as one of the topics of interest, I immediately thought back to second year when I had a habits TA um, who expressed their interest in pursuing social work. And it was kind of um, serendipitous in that way. And it kind of came full circle now because I'm now TAing Praxis 2X03, which is kind of the parallel course that replaced habits. So thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule, Simran, to have this conversation today. Um, so how about we start off with an introduction question? So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey through BHSC? Sure. Um, so just first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to speak. It's, it's really exciting to be here and, you know, just to help BHSC students in any way that I can. And, and when you reached out, it was just so nice to me because, you know, you, you kind of move on and you kind of forget about BHSC and you're kind of so wrapped up in your own things. And it was just so nice to kind of be able to reconnect and to know that you have such an impact on people um, and especially in that role of a TA, you know, so that was that was great. So I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing right now. I'm currently in my last semester of my master's in science and social work at Columbia University. And I'm specializing in a very unique concentration called the Social Enterprise Administration, which I would love to speak more on um, in a little bit. And uh, I've also completed a, a business uh, minor. And so there's very different things happening, um, very different to maybe what someone might think about social work. So I'm really excited to be able to explain so much of what I've learned over the, over the past little bit. And I'm still continuing to learn more about the field. That's so great. And yeah, we'll be, we'll be kind of exploring all about stereotypes and kind of um, mass interpretations of kind of the profession and graduate program that you decide to pursue. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to um, explore why you chose this program and career path, especially coming out of um, the BHSC program. Sure. Um, so I had a little bit of an interesting journey in BHSC. I came into it really wanting, really wanting to pursue medicine um, and specifically to become a surgeon. And for the first two years, I think that was very much the track that I was focused on. And I don't really know what it was in second year where it kind of clicked to me that, you know, I really need to reconsider this and really think about what is it that I'm actually interested in? What about medicine, you know, was inviting me in and what is kind of, you know, pushing me back away from it. And so as I went on that journey in summer after second year, I really, really sat down and started thinking about what am I good at? What do, what do I enjoy? Um, you know, what do I want to be doing? And I landed on really wanting to interact with people um, and building connections with people. I was really, really interested and still am really interested in human behavior and culture. Um, so 
during the HSC that led me to pursue a minor in sociology, um, which I really enjoyed. And even right up until I decided what to do for grad school, I was still debating between sociology and social work. Um, so I actually applied to both um, programs, graduate programs in sociology and social work. Um, and it really wasn't until after I got in into two really great programs that I was able to decide on which path to pursue. And so just to explore that a bit further, um, what factors did you consider? What um, was perhaps your biggest or most um, emergent motivator to pursue um, one of, like you said, you applied to sociology and social work. What, what was the biggest factor that motivated you to social work as that graduate program that you wanted to pursue? Sure. Um, so one of the big things for me, like I said earlier, was really being able to connect with people and interact with people. Um, and I think what sociology was offering is more so having that deeper understanding about people and culture and human behavior, but not being, in, being able to interact with people the same way that I would be able to in, so, in social work. Um, it would still have been an option because if I was doing, for example, thesis work in sociology, I probably would have conducted interviews and gotten to know people that way. So that aspect was still there, just not to the same degree in social work. Um, what I really did to help me decide was make a, make a pros and cons list of um, the schools, the program and the career path, because I got into two really great programs for two entirely different, different degrees. Um, and I also really considered what post-grad opportunities would look like. Um, so thinking about what was in, built into the program that would help me be successful after I graduate, what would be helpful for finding work. Uh, but the one thing that I would really recommend that helped me decide more than any of the research that I could have done was reaching out to alumni of the programs and current students. Um, that was so incredibly helpful reaching out via LinkedIn and just making some really good connections with people. Um, so that would be my advice. I was a little late to making a LinkedIn account. Um, if you haven't already done so, I would really, really recommend making a LinkedIn and just start reaching out to people that you already know and you just never know what's gonna come your way. So LinkedIn is really powerful. Okay, hey, definitely noted. I'll open my LinkedIn account after, after we're done recording this, but that's really interesting. Um, so as you entered your graduate program and as you graduated from DHSC, it was really at the, the opening act of the pandemic, so to speak. And so how did COVID-19 kind of affect the path you decided to pursue and kind of how you entered your graduate program and your professional um, aspirations? Yeah, so... Like you said, I was just in the last couple of months of um, graduating from BHSC when the pandemic hit. And I, I had gotten into these two really great schools. I had also gotten into um, you know, both sociology programs and social work programs in Ontario. Um, and after learning that both of these two schools that I was considering was going to be online, I thought that you know, maybe I should defer for a year 
and wait until things get better. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't, I didn't do that because I would have been waiting for what seems like a very long time. Um, but what I had planned to do was um, stay home in, in Ontario for the first semester. And then depending on how things were, and if classes were going to be online, maybe move to New York for second semester. And I was all, you know, really excited about that and, and set to do that. But unfortunately, uh, really close to school starting, Columbia announced that if students were not living in the U.S., they could not complete their field placement that semester. So the field placement is like this internship that's built right into our program. Um, and we spend three days a week, you know, working kind of full time, nine to five, um, getting this real world experience. And so that was one of the biggest deciding factors as well for me when I was deciding which, which program to join. Um, so the, the program that I'm in now has that real world experience, which the other, the sociology program that I was considering didn't have that. And to hear that I wouldn't really be able to do this field placement that semester really didn't sit well with me and it wasn't something that I was okay with. So I had to kind of reconsider my options again, and uh, there were limited options. So what I decided to do was switch from the uh, traditional two-year track program that I was in that was supposed to start in fall of 2020. And I deferred and not really deferred, but switched to the 16-month program, which started in January 2021. And it's a nonstop, no break, 16 months, kind of accelerated or, you know, very condensed program. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I moved to New York in, in January. Um, classes were online, field placement was remote. So I moved to a, to a big city from a small suburb, um, not knowing anyone, having classes online. There was one class that was being offered as a hybrid just because of um, making sure that international students could stay in the US due to their visa. Um, because at that time there was uh, some different, different things going on with allowing international students to stay in the country. So that's kind of been my journey. And then we, we've been in person for a while now. Um, this month we are remote just because of the surge in cases. So it's been very on and off online and in person, but I've learned to appreciate some things about the online program. And I definitely, definitely love being in person because I'm able to make those personal connections just in a bit of a more easier setting. Yeah. And that's really interesting. That's something I've heard a lot about kind of the benefits of online learning versus in-person learning. It's really interesting to see that's kind of also reflected in a professional graduate program. It's something in, in the profession that um, you're pursuing. So that's really interesting to see. So we've gotten into this um, a little bit, but um, I wanna explore more about kind of your day-to-day -day life. So a day in the life of someone pursuing the graduate program you're pursuing and kind of doing the activities that you're doing in your profession. So what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Sure. So every day is a little bit different for me, but the one thing that kind of remains the same or the overall structure that Columbia's social work program has is having all of our classes be on two of the days, 
during the week and the other three days were in field. So, um, and that, that field placement looks different for everyone, depending on where you're being placed, which track you're pursuing, which I can talk about a little bit more as well, if you'd like. Um, but so really, you know, I'm in my field placement, like I said earlier, kind of nine to five um, every day, uh, three days a week, sorry. And um, there's commuting involved for my field placement. So that's been, that's been interesting. So it, it really feels like a full-time job. Um, but I really like it. I, I also do have a part-time job. I'm a youth coach um, and I have to reserve time to complete schoolwork and all the while trying to have fun and have a social life and not miss out on, on New York. You know, that's one of, one of the big perks of, of Columbia as well as being so close um, to like the hub of where everything is happening, but you're still kind of removed from it. So it's been so nice to have that balance of kind of being away from the hustle and bustle, but also being right there if you want to be. Yeah, that's really interesting and a really interesting position to be in in terms of geographically, but also kind of having that, the, the education piece, but also the field placement piece. So before we get into that, um, I know we touched on this earlier about kind of the special path you took within the field of social work and um, kind of, enterprise. So why don't we explore that a bit more and kind of, um, if you're comfortable, specifying what that really looks like in terms of its uniqueness and distinctness within social work. Absolutely. So one of the big reasons that I chose Columbia's um, program was because of this concentration or this specialization. It's not one that's offered in many social work programs. Um, I was also a little bit limited in the programs that I was looking at because I did not do my bachelor's in social work. So the schools in Ontario that accepts non-BSW students was a bit more limited. And within those schools, a lot of the concentrations or specializations that you would have were what people would expect, right? The more traditional clinical path, which Columbia offers as well, and probably has the largest amount of students go into. Um, but there's also tracks kind of more in the policy route, um, which a lot of students do explore as well. And I felt like that was offered in both the Ontario schools I was looking at as well as at Columbia. But what the Ontario schools didn't have was the path that I'm in right now called the social enterprise administration path. And to be honest, like it's, it's not super, super clear exactly what it is. You kind of get a sense of what it is from their website and by talking to, to different professors, but I've learned so much more being in it. And if I could define it in, in a very concise and easy to understand way, I would say you're really learning to be a leader um, and you're really learning, you know, taking all of those skills about how to interact with people, how to be an effective communicator, how to be a good listener, and applying it to, you know, a position that you can be in where you're more of that manager or director level, and really, you know, whether you're working at a non-for-profit, whether you're opening your own practice, really being able to take those skills that you learn and opening up a successful career for yourself um, and really being able to guide and mentor other people along the way. 
Um, so social enterprise administration is more of that macro level work that people don't think about um, typically when thinking about social work. Um, even people who are in the social work program really you know, might not know about what social enterprise administration is or SEA for short. I feel like I'm gonna get tired of saying the full, full um, title, so SEA. Um, but it's very different uh, from the more micro level work that someone in clinical might be doing. Uh, but there's four specializations in total at Columbia. There's clinical, there's policy, there's AGPP, um, which I believe is advanced generalist practice. There's one more P, which I can't remember. <laughs> um, and AGPP is a little bit more of that middle ground where you're not doing the like super micro work that someone in clinical would be doing, but you're not kind of at that macro level that someone in SEA is doing. And you're kind of in this middle ground of like more so program development, program implementation. Um, it's one of the, the, one of the concentrations that I'm not very familiar with. I think I have a very, or as clear of an understanding as I can of clinical uh, policy and SEA, but AGPP is the one that I'm still honestly a little bit confused about as well. Yeah, initially when you were talking about that and kind of like, it's hard to define, I was just like, are you sure you're not in first year inquiry? Like, and then the P is like <laughs> all that. But yeah, it's great to hear that kind of, um, it's taking a, a step back in a bigger picture on social work and social systems. And it's interesting that that's kind of tied into um, almost like a business role and, um, yeah. and that can be applied in a business. Yeah. I know you mentioned you were specializing um, or you did a minor in business as well. And so that's I am. Really interesting. Yeah. And one more thing I actually forgot to mention was we pick these concentrations, which is, you know, the path that we're on. But even within that, we pick a field of practice. So with any concentration that you're in, there's seven fields of practice that you can choose from. So, for example, mental health and health um, or the one that I'm in, which is world of work, because I just felt like for what I'm wanting to pursue afterwards, that just made sense for me. Um, pairing SEA and that more macro level with world of work and with my business minor um, just really was the package that I was looking for. But there's so much, um, you know, ability to individualize the path that you're taking and, and what you're learning. So there's some courses that we all take um, in, in our first year. That's the same for everyone. And we get into our second year or our final year or advanced year. And it's really, you know, focused on the concentration we're in. So for example, you know, I took human resource management, I took community practice, uh, macro community practice. And then there's also based on, you know, the field of practice that you're choosing, there's courses that align with that. So it's a really, really unique program and really specialized to who you are and what you want to be pursuing in your final year. Yeah, that's great. And so I know you mentioned, um, kind of your, your field placement earlier and um, the practical or experiential learning built into your program. Um, so I just want to explore that a bit more and um, the type of work you're doing and what that's looking like in a real world environment. Not to say, sure. not to say that education is a real world, but <laughs> a, a more experiential environment. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am in the program, you get two field placements, one in your first year and one in your second year. 
Um, so I can talk about the one I'm doing right now, which I'm absolutely loving. It's at a place called Wildfire Strategies. And they're a management consulting firm, which is exactly the kind of work that I want to be doing after graduating. Um, so really what Wildfire does is look at deep subject matter um, experts, you know, people like, funnily enough, um, looking at the healthcare profession, looking at the legal sector, um, people who are really, really knowledgeable in what they do, but maybe haven't learned how to be leaders or how to help teams work well together. Um, and really, they just don't have time for that reflection and for that work. So Wildfire um, is really, really good at going in and working with those types of individuals and really helping teams thrive and really work well together. Um, so there is a fantastic group of coaches and consultants at Wildfire that I've had the opportunity to learn from and a variety of different experiences that I've been able to have um, some of the more team focused work that we're doing with our clients. We also have more of that individual level work that we're doing, which uh, because I'm not a certified coach, I can't be super involved in that, but uh, in the sense that I can't be, you know, the one in the coaching sessions, but I have been able to learn about everything that the coaches are doing in those sessions. And really gain insight into what that work looks like. And hopefully once I, I become a certified coach, I'll be able to do some of that work myself. Um, we also work with, you know, senior leadership teams um, in a more group setting. So it's been really great um, learning more about working with people and doing that kind of work, leading those workshops, doing some of the interviews, analyzing those results and, you know, proposing recommendations and to really feel like my work is being valued. I have an excellent boss um, and, and really love working with him. And it's, it's been really nice to, to have this as my experience. So kind of linking this all back to um, BHSC, um, how do you think, or did you, do you think BHSC prepared you well for um, your graduate program and why or why not? I do. I think um, I know BHSC also offers specializations, you know, where you can stay mainstream. And, and for me, staying in the more mainstream path was right for me because I was so unsure about what to be doing kind of in that second year, third year time. Um, so really allowing students to take electives um, within the program and outside of the program for more holistic education was just so helpful for me. Um, I was kind of all over the place. I was taking courses in, in so many different um, departments and different programs, which was just so great for me. Um, and honestly, <laughs> inquiry as frustrating and confusing as it was at times probably helped me the most, um, as well as those you know numerous opportunities for reflections. Uh, it really, really does allow you to take the time to become so much more self-aware and just, you know, more sure about what you want to be doing. And I think that that's so important because a lot of times people will go into a profession that they had an idea about or they thought they wanted, and then they get into it 
and they find out that they don't really like it. And it's not to say that you can't switch afterwards. You definitely can. But if you're able to have the opportunity to make that self-reflection earlier and just make a more informed decision, right? It's not to say that reflections make you choose a different path. They don't. They just help you make an informed decision about the path that's right for you. Um, So that was really, really key in my journey through BHSC and helping me figure out what, where to go next. Um, And then some other things that really helped me was being a peer tutor for inquiry and really learning about group dynamics and group process, because that's much of what I need to know now. Um, Written communications with Bob is excellent if you have not taken that course before. Um, And being a habits TA, of course, um, helped me a lot. That's great. And yeah, I haven't taken written communications, but I've heard a lot of good things from peers that have taken it. So a missed opportunity, but um, there's always 50 here, I guess. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> so yeah, kind of pushing the, the paradigm of the last question, the other direction. Is there anything about um, your graduate program and your experience in professional work so far that you feel um, BHSC didn't really prepare you or something that you weren't expecting coming into um, the work that you're doing now? Um, I think, you know, because I was able to take so many different courses, non-BHSC courses, and I was really able to kind of remove myself from some of that toxicity and stereotypes that you're trying to really, you know, break down and create this more, you know, inclusive and safe environment for people. Um, I was able to kind of, you know, have diversity in thought and really explore different pathways and view the world in so many different ways, which I think is so helpful in, in my, in my field placement right now and in the work that I do right now. Um, But I think for, for someone who's maybe kind of getting a little bit stuck in that toxicity or is not really able to branch out and just, explore right it's not to say that they need to start taking or being interested in something else it's really just to give yourself um you know the right that you deserve to to be able to make this informed decision and to have the opportunity to explore so many different ways of thinking and and different subjects um so i think someone who might not have that opportunity might not be as prepared for uh the real world, which is so interdisciplinary. I think we get a lot of opportunity for group work and to work with different people. And we get some of that experience there because everybody's unique. Everybody thinks differently. Everybody has different perspectives. But if there's a way for BHSC to kind of go into that even deeper and, and, you know, really give more opportunity for that, so that students can excel and thrive in such an interdisciplinary and collaborative real world, I think that would be great. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting answer. And I guess in terms of interdisciplinariness and kind of the niches you can go into in a professional world. And I think I didn't really realize that. Um, I remember in second year, I was also kind of trapped into that or mentally trapped, I guess, into that stream of med school and medicine. And then um, I specifically remember that tutorial where we had that discussion around you and you're kind of explaining 
um, your story that you kind of touched on in one of your earlier responses around um, visualizing yourself going into medicine when you entered the program and then kind of really taking a step back and doing that intense reflection and that personal exploration. And I think that was when I, I realized, okay, like I'm not the only one kind of questioning my own ambitions and like where I want to go. So that's why when we were conceptualizing this podcast, I specifically like <laughs> latched onto that memory. I was like, wait, I've like, I've had a similar thought pattern before and it was tied to a specific event. So that's really interesting to kind of come full circle with that. Yeah, it is. So kind of going off of that point, um, what you've and you've already given some advice, but um, if there was something um, you could go back in time and tell your fourth year self, um, what would that be? Um, I think I mean by fourth year, I think I kind of knew this, but just for people who don't like, don't be afraid to really explore what it is that you wanted to be, who you want to be. Um, I think sometimes people get trapped in this bubble and it's really hard to kind of look outside of that, but there is so much variety in, in outside of that bubble and to really be who you are and, and to, you know, explore what you want to. And I think maybe for me, part of it is just, you know, having that experience in New York as well, where there is so much freedom to be who you want and do what you want. Um, so just, you know, do something outside of your comfort zone, try to push yourself, be curious, ask yourself those difficult questions, because the sooner that you do them, the more richer experiences you'll be able to have later on. Um, and one kind of, um, one other thing that I think I spoke to a little bit earlier is really networking, um, it's something that I'm still trying to get better at and improving on. Um, but just networking through through LinkedIn or talking to your professors, um, talking to, you know, alumni of the school, um, even talking to to younger, younger students. And because everyone's coming in with such a different perspective, you just don't know when you'll like have a light bulb go off or a conversation that really sticks with you or, you know, having the opportunity to make a connection with someone that, you know, helps you down the line um, when, you know, two, three, five years later, when you, you know, you, that's not even where you are anymore. Um, so you just never know when an opportunity is going to come your way. So I would say just be very open and be curious and, and just, talk to as many people as you can. Yeah, and that's really interesting advice. And I've had a few experiences like that where you're talking to someone who um, you weren't really expecting to have um, a perspective um, or such a unique experience about something. And then they they speak about something and it kind of opens your perspective in a new way. And like, I never really thought about it that way. Um, and on that theme, um, just wrapping up kind of, our podcast today and we touched on this a bit earlier but what are some stereotypes about your graduate program and the profession that you're pursuing and um are any of these stereotypes true are there any myths uh, you would like to kind of deconstruct and debunk for our listeners um sure i think one of the ones that i do see largely in my classes is that we are a very female dominated program and field in general um, but I think that's 
really due to that stigma that's out there that kind of those more nurturing based jobs are for females and maybe you would see actually more more males in the SEA pathway because like we were saying earlier it's a bit more of that macro level or business type um, concentration but um, I would really say you know it really shouldn't be a female dominated field. I think anyone who's empathetic and a good listener can really excel in this field. People who just want to make a connection with others and just, you know, listen to people and and be there for people um, will do great in, in social work. And social work is so much more like we've explored today than just that clinical role. Um, And for people who want that clinical role, that's great. And I think they have a really great picture of what social work looks like. But hopefully in today's podcast, people have have heard um, that social work is more than just that. And they will be able to um, explore that for themselves a little bit more. So I think that's one of the the myths as well, that um, when people think of traditional social work, I hear a lot of like, you know, social workers are just trying to take your children away. Um, because that's what they see in movies or that's what they hear or read. Um, and I would say that's not at all true. Um, actually social workers in that situation are really, you know, trying their very best to keep their, to keep children in their home and with people who they, who they've grown up with and who love and care for them. And that's really not what social workers are trying to do, but, I understand where that myth kind of comes from. It's really, it's really deeply rooted in historical events. And it's sad that that's kind of been the the history there, but um, it's really moved beyond that um, today. And it's not, social work is not just a clinical field. Um, There's such a variety in the paths that social workers can take after graduating. And I hope that that's one thing that people listening to this podcast will be able to hold on to and explore for themselves a little bit further if they're interested in social work. That's a really interesting thought. And I think it kind of runs the other way as well. And I know I was discussing kind of popular media representation of performance coaches. And when I was thinking about that, I didn't realize that social work was something that could also diverge into that kind of a career. So the the myth runs both ways, I guess. Um, yeah. So um, just a final question and it's kind of open-ended. Are there any other um, final thoughts or any reflections you would like to add um, before we wrap up the podcast? Um, I think some of the, the key things or things that I want people to remember and hold on to is to be curious, to always be asking why and to be open. Um, networking and LinkedIn are your best friends. <laughs> Um, and social work is just so, so diverse. I mean, there are such valuable knowledge and skills that you learn, um, throughout the program and they're applicable to so many different jobs and so many different experiences. Um, and I myself was learning throughout the program, you know, how, how much you can really apply social work to, to different, um, different experiences and different opportunities. So just, just be mindful of that and be, be open to, to new opportunities. Okay. So again, thank you so much, Simran, for sharing your experience and your expertise um, and your journey with us today. And 
that brings us to the end of this um, episode of the podcast on social work. Um, so stay tuned for more and we'll have other guests with um, different and diverse um, post BJC experiences. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us today and a huge shout out to our guest speakers for sharing their story as well as the fourth year council interviewers who made this possible. If you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned for more in this series coming out every Friday of the week for the remainder of winter 2022. Until next time, stay safe and take care.